Welcome to the Masterminds Podcast Channel, brought to you by DonorSearch, a leader in prospect research tools and analytics, and your host, one of America's top philanthropic experts and fundraising consultants, Jay Frost. Randy Cohen is Vice President of Research at Americans for the Arts, the national advocacy organization for the sector, where he has been empowering arts advocacy since 1991. He publishes Americans Speak Out About the Arts, a national public opinion study, as well as two premier economic studies of the arts, Arts and Economic Prosperity, the National Economic Impact Study, and Creative Industries, a mapping study of the nation's 675,000 arts businesses and their employees. Randy has given speeches in all 50 states and regularly appears in the news media, including within the pages of the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and on C-SPAN, CNN, CNBC, and NPR. Thanks for being here, Randy. We appreciate your, your being willing to talk with us. Thanks for having me. Um, before we went on, we've already discussed half a dozen ideas that you have <laughs> that I note directly impact the arts, but maybe we can go back a bit first. Um, I've already introduced you, but maybe you could tell us a bit about why you got involved in the arts in the first place. Wow. Um, my personal story. Um, you know, I, uh, growing up um, as a kid, was one of those kids where whatever was going on outside the window was the most interesting thing going on at that moment, you know, especially when I was in school. And, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I, the arts really, uh, all the arts, you know, the visual arts, the performing arts, um, really spoke to me, engaged me, um, made me feel creative, you know, made me want to want to come to school. Uh, and and be part of the school day. And this is, you know, I can think of probably starting, you know, in middle school or um, and then beyond. And uh, uh, and then eventually I moved into um, uh, theater and performing uh, in high school. And um, it's really how I, you know, that, that was sort of my thing. Um, I went on to study, I uh, got a degree in theater and ran a small theater company, did a lot of arts education um, and, uh, uh, and then, um, so that's really what, uh, got me going in the arts. Uh, and, um, it's, it's just a constantly inspiring, um, line of work. Now within that, it's been this, um, serpentine route to get where I am, you know, going from the theater. Um, I also have a background in medical research because as you know, you mentioned in your introduction, vice president of uh, research at Americans for the arts. And so here's this guy with a theater degree, but I also used to work in medical research. I worked at Stanford university at Scripps clinic and research foundation. Um, and so that's how the research came in and the arts people wanted what I was doing in the sciences. The science people wanted what I was doing in the arts. And, you know, for me, it was all the same process of exploration, right? What if, what if, what if we try it like that? What if we did the scene this way? Um, what if we, uh, you know, uh, try a transcutaneous CO2 monitor on this sleep apnea patient or something like that? Um, and so the, the arts and sciences were 
not so far apart. Uh, and then I came to Washington for a 13-week uh, fellowship uh, at the National Endowment for the Arts. And that was 30 years ago. Uh, never left. So um, I was at the NEA for a couple of years, and then I've been at Americans for the Arts going on 29 years now. Yeah, that's a big anniversary coming coming up. Um, and you spoke to the importance of kind of both sides of your experience coming to play there over the decades. Before we go into that, though, I'm, I'm curious about that first part, because you said that you were in these plays, maybe like a lot of us were in middle school. Mm -hmm. And that is very public facing versus research, which is often very much inside the shop. Let's figure out how things work. And then we might reveal some of that to the wider public. Can you go back in your head to thinking about your first experience on the stage and what that was like for you? What 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 did you play? Um, boy, uh, you know, I think um, school plays. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure I remember some of those earliest uh, earliest roles. Um, uh, you know, in middle school, there was, uh, um, you know starting in the back uh, in the chorus or something like that and then moving on to uh, um, but you know there were Neil Simon plays there were musicals um, you know I think when I got to college uh, you know it was the beginning of where things are a little more typecast and uh, everything and um, I used to uh, contrary to now a lot of long curly hair so you know Huckleberry Finn uh, you know Tom Sawyer um you know, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those kind of roles is, um, yeah, you know, I think juvenile all American was sort of the type, uh, you know, cause you get your first jobs on what you look, you know, typecasting in a lot of ways. So, um, uh, yeah. So, um, but, uh, I, yeah, I enjoyed, uh, I, uh, you know, um, it's every role is such a process of exploration, um, and, teasing out the language and when you work with the great playwrights uh you know the tennessee williams or the shakespeare whoever you know where the uh you know the words themselves um are, are such poetry and convey the meaning of what's being said you know um is it as a euphonious kind of phrase with lots of open vowels and it's very emotional or is it a stichomythic uh where there's lots of you know hard consonants you know and that that conveys meaning um, and so uh, it was uh, everything was just such an adventure. Uh, I just loved the process of uh, exploration. Um, but then you were also having that, that interaction with the audience. That must have been a big piece. And mm -hmm. uh, aud examining the audience is a huge part of your work today. <laughs> Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, how people respond. And I did a lot of theater for young audiences. Um, uh, so plays for children, about children. We did a lot of creative dramatics, a lot of arts education uh, that went with that. Um, and uh, you know, it's funny, the audiences are very different because when the kids are quiet, I mean, they might like totally laugh, you know, at, at a physical comedy thing or something, but, um, you know, it, it can be dead quiet. And if this is an adult audience, you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I think I've lost these people. But with the kids, they're so locked in, you know, they don't even want to breathe. And you sort of look out there and there's two kids in a seat, you know, sitting together and it's just all this funny stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, connecting 
yeah, connecting, uh, connecting the arts and, um, and then how the arts, uh, and again, with the theater for young audiences, you know, doing plays for kids that were, um, not just fairy tales, but dealing with very contemporary issues that kids, uh, kids are facing, um, you know, divorce, uh, death, peer group assimilation, you know, there's a whole body of work there. And I think that was, um, where I started to learn more about how the arts, um, you know, really touch all the different issues and areas of our lives uh, and are involved in social change uh, and social cohesion, um, you know, and addressing the, the big issues of our time, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, you know, uh, so, um, you know, all the great social movements, you know, in time have, have involved the arts. Uh, and so that, um, you know, that was one of the great uh, explorations for me as well. You know, um, my mom was a social worker, so paying attention to going on, what was going on in society was, uh, uh, you know, ever since I was a small child, part of dinner conversation. Um, and, you know, I remember is starting to learn how the arts connect us to all these all these different issues and and that's a big part of what we do now at americans for the arts um uh demonstrating how uh the arts they inspire us they engage us yes they're entertaining and and we love them um but you know they also strengthen our communities socially educationally economically uh and um it's it, it's amazing to have uh you know the arts which which can do so much for a healthy community and a healthy individual. Uh, and that, that, that just constantly inspires me. That's why I'm going on 29 years at Americans for the Arts. It's just, uh, uh, it's a, to me, it's just, it's exciting and it's, it's constant learning and it's relevant um, all the time. Now you've talked about that in terms of the work and it's even some of your, your not a meme, I guess, but there are these quotes from the data that you've gathered over time that we'll talk about. And one of them is about, 72% of Americans believing that the arts have a unifying effect. But yeah. we're also at a time when, unlike the maybe those young people in an audience who grow quiet when they're investigating what they're seeing and what it means to them, that we are societies described as very polarized and increasingly so. So I'm, I'm wondering about that and what you're finding, not just in the work, but in your own life. How is it that we get these things to to agree, if we, if we, if the majority of us, nearly three quarters of us, think that the arts have a unifying effect, why is it that that we so, were so polarized? Well, um, boy, that's a that's a, a question for our time. Uh, I think you know it's politics, media. I, you know, it's uh, there's a, a large, expansive conversation to be had there. But uh, you know what the arts do provide is um, a shared experience in a public space, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it might be a community mural uh, that, uh, you know, um, intergenerational, different parts of the community involved in making a mural, or it's a, you know, it's a festival, or people are going to see Hamilton uh, again, you know, and um, it doesn't matter who you voted for or where you practice your faith. Uh, it's, it, you know, the arts, the arts experience transcends um, 
uh, transcends those kinds of conversations when people are participating uh, mm-hmm. within that. And so I think, you know, that is um, that is one of the things as we look ahead um, to the other side of this whole COVID-19 pandemic. Um, yeah, we're very polarized even before all of this. And now we're um, social distancing, we're staying at home. Um, eventually, it's going to be time to wake up our communities and, and get us back out, uh, you know, into our communities and different neighborhoods. And I think the arts, um, while there these COVID-19 is having a devastating impact on the arts right now, um, and it's just among the most affected um, industries uh, in, in the country, um, this is, you know, there's a huge opportunity here to use the arts to uh, to get us reconnected with each other. And um, you, you hit it. Seventy two percent of the public says the arts unify our communities regardless of age, race or ethnicity. Seventy three percent. The arts help me understand other cultures in my community. And what's amazing about those data points is that they cut across all socioeconomic strata. So, you know, when we do the analysis, um, so it's not it's not an urban phenomenon. It's not an affluence phenomenon. Um, you know, we really see uh, see the findings true and relevant uh, across the whole community. Now, one of the things that, that strikes me about that is that if we find that uh, that people almost unanimously, I don't know if you could come up with more than 72% of people believing anything anywhere, if more than 72% of the people believe that the arts are really that vital to bringing people together, um, what about funding for the arts? Now, it, what I mean here is not only is there a compelling reason for it, because I know you can share the reasons that are, but also when there is uh, diminished funding for the arts, let's say at the local level or the state level, does that possibly mean that, well, if we if we put more resources into it, if we foster these organizations more, that we could see more unification occur? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if you remember 10 years ago when we had the Great Recession, uh, as opposed to the one we're in now, um, you know, everybody talked about shovel-ready, you know, all these shovel-ready industries. And, uh, you know, the arts then were part of the um, – uh, you know, the stimulus package, which was effectively a jobs program, right? You know, putting putting people back to work. And I think uh, legitimized, once again, the role of the artist as part of our workforce. Uh, but the arts truly are a shovel-ready industry. When you invest in the arts, you know, when you support an arts organization as a, as a donor, as a foundation, or as a, a municipal government, you know, that's just turning into product right away. Um, you know, that's not like, okay, great, we got that. Let's let's put that in the bank for a while while we drop a plan and uh, some schematics and, you know, f- bid out the construction and all that kind of thing. Um, in fact, you know, the National Endowment for the Arts actually received a, a distinction um, uh, from OMB, Office of Management and Budget, that last time around because they were among the fastest to inject those dollars, you know, right to the arts, right into the communities. And and then it's immediately um, providing cultural product, uh, arts, cultural experiences and, uh, you know, and all the and all the benefits that come with that. Isn't it isn't that it doesn't have a historical parallel as well with the WPA? 
Um, yeah, that's uh, going back. Um, certainly, that was uh, you know one of the great jobs uh, programs. And um, boy, when people think of that era now, they think of the WPA and they think of all the great um, you know murals and sculptures and trails. Uh, you know, um, yeah, that was. Uh, you know that was that was a pretty remarkable time. Uh, provided a lot of a lot of benefits, and you know there've been different job programs along the way. Um, you know, but uh, uh, and that's one of the challenges looking ahead now. Um, artists uh, uh, again are just the, among the most decimated of. Uh, uh, you know, workforces. Um, we've got an online survey that we're doing now of artists and creative workers, uh, and about 18,000 respondents to that so far. We're doing it in um, partnership with the Artist Relief Fund, which is a group of foundations that uh, uh, put $10 million together into giving out these $5,000 emergency relief grants. Uh, and what we're finding is 95% um, have at least lost some work. So effectively, everybody has lost something. 62% of the artists have become fully unemployed as a result of this pandemic. So, um, yeah. That's a, that's a pretty large number. Is it also distributed uh, somewhat equally across the country or is that is it really differing from region to region and city to city and state to state? You know, I, I don't know for sure. Um, but, you know, you look at those uh, you look at those figures, you know, 90 percent of anything. It's just about everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, looking at another survey that we've got going of uh, arts and culture organizations, and we've got close to 12,000 nonprofit arts and culture organizations that have responded to that. Ninety five percent have canceled events. Uh, and so. You know, we're seeing that um, everywhere. And of course, the challenge for the arts, uh, first to close, last to open, um, you know, and so that's uh, that's 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 certainly one of the real challenges uh, in the community. Um, and uh, those um, we estimate uh, the financial losses to nonprofit arts and cultural organizations at five point five billion dollars so far. You know, we've only been in this a couple months, and that's also 210 million admissions lost due to canceled events. And just to um, put that in perspective, Randy, so $5.5 billion is a lot of money. What What is the size and scope of the arts in America right now? Well, a um, couple ways to look at that. Uh, you know, so for that particular data thread, I'm looking at nonprofit arts and culture organizations. Uh, and... Um, we estimate nationally uh, it's about a uh, $166 billion industry, which mm -hmm. is two figures. Um, about 63 of that is spending by the organizations themselves. So, so far, uh, you know, about 10% um, of, of their dollars uh, uh, you know, have been lost. The other 103 billion of that um, is spending by arts audiences. Mm -hmm. And I mention that because, um, you know, this is just one of the other important ways that the arts uh, touch the different aspects of our community. Um, and in this case, it's there's, there's sort of a the bad news, um, but then there's the opportunity. So the bad news, the challenging news on this is um, those 210 million admissions uh, has resulted in 6.7 billion 
in lost spending by arts audiences. So follow me for a second here, because um, we know from our arts and economic prosperity studies, where we do over 200,000 audience interviews, the typical attendee to an arts event spends $31.47 per person per event, not including the cost of admission. And think of, you know, last time you went, you know, to see an arts event, uh, probably a few months ago at least, um, you know, did you like sneak in, see the show, run home before anybody saw you? No, probably not. You probably had dinner and maybe dessert or drinks after the show and you paid for parking. And, you know, if you got little ones at home, you double the cost of the evening on babysitting. So $31.47 per person per event. And those are dollars that go to local businesses, you know, restaurants, retail. All, you know, there's either tourism dollars and overnights are worked into that. Um, and so it's, uh, uh, you know, restaurants alone pull over $50 billion a year just from people going to dinner, having a meal uh, connected to the show that they're attending or the event that they're attending. Mm-hmm. So um, now we see that economic activity has been lost because there's just not all this, you know, these, these arts events just aren't happening. Um, and so uh, that's resulted in $2 billion in lost government revenue. And that's resulted in 348,000 jobs no longer being supported. And what are the three big numbers? And I, I, yeah. I wonder if you can give us a picture of what that really looks like on the ground level, um, because you've been in each of these communities, you've spoken in all 50 states. Um, and you know what it's like for individual artists who are touring with a production or putting on, you know, a show for the first time or a local community orchestra. What does that look like today? Yeah. Well, um, you know, the, uh, the unemployment, uh, is just staggering, um, because you know, when all of these, uh, organizations, um, are not uh, are not having performances, uh, you know, at the arts center. That means there's a symphony that's not playing, and that's not the end of it. Um, there's a bunch of ushers uh, that aren't working. There's uh, a union stage crew uh, backstage. They're not working. You've got the box office people, um, arts organizations. They have like all nonprofits or profit organizations. There's, you know, finance people and auditors and marketing people. Um, You notice every time you go to an arts event, you're always getting some paper, you know, you're getting a program or, you know, there's a writer in the community that's been paid to write that program. And there's a graphic artist that does the design work for that. And then there's a a printer. You know, when I go speak to a chamber of commerce or a rotary club, I always ask, hey, who are the printers in the room? You know, and I said, well, we did a survey on your arts organizations. Did you know they spend $4 million a year just on printing? And you know, people think about the arts as this, you know, wonderful community amenity. Um, it beautifies, it delights. Um, but, you know, they don't think about it as business. And, you know, and those are jobs. Uh, and so that's just the arts organizations themselves. Um, and even, you know, buying a ticket now, right? You do it all online. Uh, everything's digital. You got the e-commerce people there. You got finance. Uh, and then there's all that event-related spending by arts audiences. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, we see lots, you know, 
restaurants all over the place are just closed now and are, you know, doing takeout and, and we'll work our way through that and things will start to open up. But I got to tell you, um, those restaurateurs are starting to wonder, um, where are these people going to come from uh, who, you know, my neighbors at the museum and my neighbors at the, uh, at the theater and the Performing Arts Center? I mean, that's what's putting cheeks in seats. You know, that's mm-hmm. put, putting derrieres and cafe chairs. Right. Uh, and so that's, uh, so that's, that's going to be a big issue. Um, but here's the opportunity. You know, we're going to have to jumpstart the economy at some point here. And, you know, we'll have to wait till it's safe. Either there's effective treatments or there's vaccines and, and all of that. And, you know, I don't know how long that's going to take. Um, you know, nobody does. And it's the unpredictability here. That's one of the, one of the big challenges of all this. Um, but that's why the arts are going to be so important. And that's why we got to support the arts now uh, and remember these arts organizations. So they'll be here in six months, 12 months, 18 months, because, it's the arts are going to be what get us out of the house, uh, out of our homes to have those shared public experiences in a public space. And um, and with that, you know, that event related spending. Uh, and so um, that, you know, that's that's going to be an important story uh, to tell about the arts that, um, you know, they really are going to be kindling for this economy and, and help it get jump started because we know every time an attendee goes to an arts event, that's $31.47 going to local merchants, you know. That's a, uh, it's, a, it's a very strong argument for why there needs to be uh, support for and deeper uh, commitment, financial commitment uh, to the arts. I'm wondering if we have seen organizations be prepared in some way for some of this, for the unpredictable and the un, uh, in that we've seen a change to the music industry, very dramatic since the days of Napster. And we've seen a big change as audiences grade for opera and for ballet. But some of the organizations then took some creative approaches to try and address the changes in the demographics of their audiences or the changes in the way people consumed information. Are you seeing that any of that experience is translating into the ability to come out of this a little bit stronger? Uh, yes. And I see, um, uh, you know, a, a couple things. There's definitely more distance based arts creation and distribution. Uh, you know, so there's, 2,400 museums with their collections fully available online, and you can take virtual tours of their museums. Um, you know, Facebook has got all these, you know, Stokes, Brian Stokes Mitchell, he's got these regular, you know, Facebook performances, you know, with the, all the uh, Broadway songs. And, um, and so there's, uh, you know, we're seeing an increase then uh, in the arts uh, being uh distributed that way. Um, and then uh, there's also just, um, I mean, this is just, again, one of these inspiring things. Uh, Two thirds of arts organizations are still delivering artistic content um, simply to raise community spirits and morale and to, to promote greater social cohesion uh, and just kind of lighten the COVID-19 experience for the community. Um, you know, and that, again, this is something that you know, the artists and, and arts organizations do. Uh, so I think they are certainly trying to scramble any way possible um, 
uh, you know, to in, ensure uh, their relevance. Um, and, you know, working with schools, uh, you know, my wife's in education, <laughs> she's downstairs, uh, well, just finished, uh, you know, teaching all her lessons uh, online. And, um, you know, and uh, so a lot of the teachers um, have been using artistic content uh, produced by different arts organizations, you know, as a way to, to teach the lessons. So there certainly has been, you know, some rallying uh, around this. Um, and that's something I think that was happening, you know, before as well, uh, because um, people are changing their consumption of the arts and, and, and how they do it. And that's, that's been happening. Um, you know, we're in the Washington DC area and, you know, it was about what, four or five years ago, the Washington national opera went out of business, you know, Placido Domingo is its artistic director, ticket sales down, revenues down, you know, and that was it. They folded into the Kennedy center. Um, so you could ask the question, what? So I guess Washingtonians just must not like opera anymore. Well, maybe or maybe not, because um, every summer uh, they do something called Opera in the Outfield. And we've got this wonderful baseball stadium where the Washington Nationals play, World Series champion, Washington Nationals play. Um, and they do a live simulcast of an opera on the big screen. And you can picnic on the grass. You can sit in the bleachers. The concessions are open. You know, really, wouldn't you rather have a chili dog and a beer while you watch the opera sometimes? Uh, and 20,000 people show up to that. So opera's not what's in trouble. It's the delivery mechanisms, you know, are always being challenged. And, uh, and arts organizations are always you know, uh, trying to stay on the leading edge of that. Um, and, you know, uh, um, everyone's got, you know, Disney Plus or Netflix or Hulu now. Um, people are consuming arts and culture. Books are free online now. A lot of books are being made available. Um, so we're going to see it all change again, uh, uh, you know, on the on the other side of this. And so, um, but that's, that I think has always been a challenge. Uh uh, for the arts, um, changing consumption patterns. Um, and, you know, things are moving very rapidly now. So it's, it's certainly going to be a, you know, it's, it's fast changing time. So I think that'll be, you know, extra challenging for folks. And I, not all arts organizations are going to survive this. You know, that organizational survey I was telling you about, um, you know, uh, two thirds of the organizations said we expect this crisis to have a severe impact on their organization. Um, a quarter of reduced staff, 40 percent say they are likely to reduce staff. But 10 percent of arts organizations say we are not confident that they are going that we will survive the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, you might say, well, 10 percent. I don't know. That doesn't sound like so much. But there's 120,000 nonprofit arts and culture organizations out there. That means 12,000 of them, you know, have doubts that they're going to see the other side of this. So, um, you know, that's 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 going to be a, a big challenge. Will uh, that mean that going back to what you said about the young audiences early on or when you were talking about mm -hmm. your wife teaching, which my wife does too, and and, uh, and how they view things, maybe that rising young audience will be hungry for these new delivery mechanisms that, that if 12,000 arts organizations die, maybe 12,000 or even 24,000 rise in their place. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, uh, yeah, that's a, a wonderfully optimistic, positive uh, view for the future. And I tell you, one thing you know, as a researcher that I've tracked over the years is, you know, there's always uh, growth in the number of nonprofit arts and culture organizations. Um, you know, for about a decade, uh, we used to publish the National Arts Index, which is kind mm-hmm. of, imagine a Dow Jones Industrial Average for the arts. And we looked at, you know, all these different indicators um, about health vitality uh, of the arts. One of them, though, was the number of nonprofit arts organizations. And there were several years where we were seeing a new nonprofit arts organization created every three hours in this country. So, um, you know, I talked to funders and it's like, it just seems like demand, you know, for support is, is, is just up. I don't know how, why we have such a hard time, you know, um, keeping up with this. And I'm like, well, I do hear the numbers, you know? So, um, yeah, that's definitely one of the challenges. You know, what's interesting though is, um, If you look at the different kinds of organizations out there, and, you know, one of the questions I get a lot is, you know, who's most at risk in all of this environment? Um, And one thing that's been talked about over the years is it's the mid-sized organizations uh, that are most at risk. Uh, And just to sort of to put some bookends around that. I ran a small theater company. You know, I mean, it was the old Bob Dylan song. You know, you got nothing, you got nothing to lose, right? We were a small, nimble couple of people. We toured, you know, um, we used other other uh, theater venues and that kind of thing. Um, you know, we were very resilient, uh, but we didn't have a building and, you know, fixed costs and, uh, you know, just a couple of people working, uh, you know, and others just kind of hired, you know, on contract. Um and then, you know, so that's the small organization. And then you've got, you know, your big, you know, your really large institutions, your, you know, kind of, you know, the majors, if you will, the symphonies, the operas, the ballets, um, uh, you know, they've got big buildings, they've got big payrolls, uh, but they also are more likely to have an endowment and a cash reserve, you know, right? Those are the organizations where you see that. And um, they're also likely to attract the kind of donors who can say, wow, we know um, this organization really took a multi-million dollar hit and, you know, one swipe of the check, uh, they're able to, uh, you know, help mitigate a lot of that damage. Um, And then there's the organizations in the middle, uh, which, you know, don't have necessarily that that kind of donor base. Um, but they do have a building, they do have staff, and they've got a lot of fixed costs. And, you know, that, that, that group of organizations um, will have, you know, a more challenging time, uh, you know, to get through all of this. And so, you know, people are already starting to ask the question, well, you know, what happens to those organizations? Um, you know, if you've got a theater that's got a uh, 350 seats performance space, um, you know, and, and that theater folds, well, what happens to that space? Uh, and so will there be more mergers or, you know, kind of umbrella management, you know, type of organizations? Um I think, you know, the conversation is just starting to happen. But, you know, we work very closely with organizations like the U.S. Conference of Mayors, National League of Cities, National Association of Counties. And, you know, they really um, love the arts, support the arts, get the importance that it's, you know, a jobs industry. It's making their cities more competitive in terms of attracting workforce uh, and businesses, Um, you know, but uh, 
you know, if you have a million square foot performing arts center, you know, which a lot of these are, you just, you know, you just can't let it sit fallow forever. Uh, so there's, there's still a lot of conversations um, left to be had, uh, you know, and, and, and as the, all of this unfolds. I wonder, as you talk about that, about the role of fundraising, because when you mentioned philanthropy before, not with that word, but talking about the revenues, mm -hmm. you did mention or alluded to the corporate funders, and they've been very generous, but they are a small part of the pie in terms of philanthropy. And the mid-sized organizations, we see that same kind of dynamic in other parts of the nonprofit community in the U.S., where they uh, they may not have that same nimbleness and they don't have an endowment as you know not as not as nimble as the tiny guys who don't have much of a expense basis and then the big guys who probably have an endowment to weather a storm the people in the middle uh, uh, that fundraising that they do the sustaining giving they receive mm -hmm. seems to make a huge difference what do you see the role of fundraising being right now and what would your message be to the arts organizations especially in the mid middle of all this who need revenue in order to survive this storm and come out stronger. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I think we really need to uh, tell that story of what the arts mean to communities um, and how the arts are helping us build healthier communities. Uh, and, you know, we were, uh, so for example, I mean, we talked about the economy, right? Um, arts are an industry, you know, they're not a frill, they're not an extra uh, that you support at the expense of economic development. It Rather, it drives tourism, it supports jobs, uh, generates government revenue, um, you know, it's a business. And when you work in the arts, I mean, you live this all the time, you, you sort of forget that that's a story, but that's not intuitive to most people. Uh, folks just don't think about the arts. So, you know, you tell that story. Uh, we were talking about, you know, kids uh, and, you know, both of our wives working in education. The research is so clear that when the arts are part of a, uh, of a student's education, they are performing better academically, um, you know, better grade point averages, better standardized test scores, lower dropout rates. I tell you, one of the challenges uh, my wife tells me is like a third of these kids aren't opening up the Chromebooks. You know, they gave Chromebooks and computers to every kid, you know, in, in the schools. Um, and a lot of them just aren't, uh, you know, they're, they're just not engaging. Um, and, you know, getting kids uh, engaged uh, in school, but getting them back to school and staying in school, you know, I mean, that was my parent. I, I wasn't really in the dropout situation, but um, boy, the arts are what just inspired me and, and kept me coming back and really wanting, uh, really wanting to participate in, in, in my education. Um, and the research underscores that. So if you want better academic performance, uh, you know, you got to keep the arts in the schools. Um, you know, another huge issue, healthcare, right? Uh, and, you know, it's a huge area of philanthropy, huge area of our society. You know, in a couple of years, healthcare is going to be 20% of GDP, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the research is so powerful about how the arts uh, improve our healing. So, I'll, I'll when I worked at Scripps Clinic and Research Foundation, um, every Tuesday at three o'clock, we used to have live chamber music in the lobby. And uh, patients would walk in there, they'd be wheeled in there, bring their family. And, um, 
you know, staff could be in there if they wanted as well in our beautiful lobby area. They turned the fountain down. I knew more doctors that uh, sort of would block off Tuesdays from three to four for chart reviews, you know, but there they'd be there, you know, listening to the chamber music in the lobby. Um, but what I started to notice, and my colleagues and I, that patients that we would see in their rooms clinically, lethargic, depressed, you know, even if you have a view of the ocean, you know, and everyone at Scripps did, um, nobody wants to be in the hospital. But you could see physical change in people. Their eyes got less cloudy, posture got better. You just sensed a greater awareness of the environment around them. And we used to think, you know, something's happening here. It's like they're getting an IV drip of the arts. Um, and now there's this growing body of research that shows when the arts are part of our health care, um, shorter hospital stays, less medication, fewer doctor visits, uh, less depression. Um, and so it's, you know, the arts are also improving uh, our health care um, experience. Uh, you know, um, you know, workforce and, and economic development, uh, you know, the I work with the conference board. That's the national organization for the Fortune 1,000 companies in this country. And, um, you know, it's where big business goes for, for business information and workforce. And their research shows creativity is now among the top five applied skills sought by business leaders. Um, and it's leaving the leapfrog the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. Um, well, of course, you got to be able to read, write, and do math. But... Um, you know, they also need people to think creatively uh, about new products or um, optimizing existing products. 72% of business leaders say creativity is of high importance in hiring. The biggest indicators of creativity, and there were two of them way at the top, starting your own business, entrepreneurial activity, and study of the arts, uh, you know, um, especially while in uh, college. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so there's so many different ways that the arts are touching our communities, um, and um, and this it's just not really an intuitive story for people until they hear about it, until they hear a story of you know how the arts help us as individuals, uh, help our business community, our education, our healthcare, and I mean I'm just pulling stories right, right issues right off of the front page of the paper there, and. You know, um, donors and city governments um, are under huge, huge demand, and everyone's got, you know, everyone's looking at the market, you know, and uh, uh, and you know, well, my gosh, am I going to have as much to give, or you know, and how am I going to distribute those dollars? Uh, and you know, the challenge is that the arts are never going to be like the mo well, the three most important things to do for my city or something like that. But if you actually look at those priority areas, um, you know, the arts help strengthen all of those. So whether it's health education, uh, you know, um, community cohesion, uh, economic development, you know, the research is just so powerful that when you invest in the arts, you're getting these other benefits as well. I, so wanted, that's to all you, I wanted to ask you about that because yeah. there have been two big trends over the 30 years since I started you know, my work and, and since you've been at Americans for the Arts. And um, one has to do with government funding. So, mm -hmm. of course, the NEA size today is not very different from what it was back in, in the 1980s. All right. Mm -hmm. um, and and we also have an issue which is also a perpetual issue, and that's 
kind of a divide. Sometimes it's described as a, uh, you know, an economic divide. Sometimes as a, you know, difference in, in uh, educational attainment. Sometimes uh, as a digital divide. But a lot of it has to do with socioeconomic status. And I'm wondering if you and and American Sea Arts and the other organizations you work with, because you work with so many, are taking a position on funding uh, generally for the arts. Does it need to increase, and if so, by how much, in order to address all these things you've said? And also, uh, intended with that, the divide and how the arts help to bridge those gaps in society of inequality. Well, um, absolutely, government has a role, and it, sh um, it should be a growing role. Uh, you know, we've, um, you know, right now we say, Ameri you know, the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, you know, it's about $170 million, should be $176 million. We're looking at increases that would bring it back to its early 1990s uh, figure. Of course, that doesn't account for inflation. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, government has a has a huge role, and um, in that uh, small investment, big return. I mean, that's that's what government gets when it supports the arts. Because uh, you know, we work a lot with um, you know Robert Redford and Sundance, and you know, and and he tells uh, a story about you know how it was a fifty thousand dollar grant from the National Endowment for the Arts um, that really helped him build the Sundance Film Festival, which has become, you know, it's world-class, worldwide film festival and, you know, a $100 million impact, uh, you know, every year on the state of Utah. So, um, you know, the... You know, the NEA um, is and, and then every state has a state arts agency and there's 4,500 local arts agencies across the country. Um, you know, they're the first ones in and they attract this other funding. And um, and that's what's so important about uh, equitable access to the arts as well. Uh, and that's. Um, you know that's what the public sector dollars also do. Uh, they, you know, they they create um, broad, equitable opportunities for everyone to experience and engage the arts and 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 bring home all these uh, personal and community benefits um, that come with a vibrant arts community. So government absolutely has a role, and um, you know it's uh, it, it is always a challenge getting the funding, um, but it's it's a nonpartisan issue uh, as well. Um, you know, we see people, uh, boards of directors, you know, sometimes people think of the arts, oh, it's a very liberal, progressive, um, you know, issue. But, you know, you look at boards of directors of our arts institutions and, you know, you see all kinds of folks, you know, of all different parties, Republicans and Democrats on the boards. Um, you know, uh, in the last Congress, um, it was a Republican Congress, you know, so the White House the last couple of years has, you know, zeroed out NEA funding, um, you know, in all of its budgets. Um, but it was a Republican Congress that actually not only did ignore that budget, um, not only maintained, but increased, uh, you know, federal funding to the arts. So uh, it's uh, but, you know, we have to be relentless in our messaging about um you know, the importance of the arts. And, so, Randy, uh, with, with respect to the amounts, in uh, philanthropy generally, there's been an effort to address the 2% of GDP, uh, which is philanthropic contributions. And there has been an effort over the years, and, and especially it's growing now, to see if there are ways to increase the amount of giving by Americans above 2% of GDP. Is there a, 
a similar target that exists either nationally or internationally for the arts where we say, you know what, it's X percent of the economy. We really need it to be Y percent. And and uh, so much has to come from government, so much from philanthropy. Is there a target like that that people are working toward that's that brings people together, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, wherever they are, wherever they live? So they're working towards the same financial goal for the arts? Yeah, um, you know, uh, one that certainly um, we see with our Arts Action Fund, which is the 501c4 um, uh, organization, the political action organization, um, you know, uh, kind of a cousin of Americans for the arts, uh, you know, a dollar per capita. Um, you know, let's just let's just go for that very modest uh, approach. And, you know, that would put NEA, you know, well over, you know, uh, $300 million. Um, you know, so those uh, there are some of those kind of goals uh, that have been established, uh, you know, and, and that's that's what that's what folks are uh, working, working towards. Yeah, I have to ask you a question which isn't related to any of this. Yeah. And <laughs> I know that you uh you spent a lot of your time on airplanes, and I believe you just started flying again. But but you've described yourself as being familiar with most airport restaurants in the United States. Mm-hmm. While I'd love to know if any of those are worth eating at, what I'm really interested to know is you're not flying much now. Um, what do you miss most right now? Um, yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you. Uh, I did fly last weekend, um, and this was a uh, uh, well. I'll, I'll answer your question first. Um, I, you know, a big part of the job is is being out there and uh, uh, you know getting this message out, um, helping you know people understand. Uh, you know, there's you know business leaders, chambers of commerce, or city councils, and the arts communities. Um, you know, how do we make uh, you know more um, you know, arts, arts warriors out there, uh, and champions for the arts. Um, and you know, there's, it's, it's just such a good news story to tell, you know, I mean, I've gone through the litany of all the benefits of, you know, really, um, being out the, out there and, and, and sharing the good news. And, uh, you know, my wife calls me the arts preacher, uh, because, you know, you're right. I've spoken in all 50 States, you know, I usually am in three or four cities a month. Uh, and, and it's such a it's such a powerful story. And when people hear it, you can just see them thinking about the arts differently. Um, and that's what helps move uh, arts friendly policies. And that's what helps move arts funding. Um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I always say what's measured matters. That's why we do so much research on the arts. What's measured matters. And just to put this in, you know, our last two and a half months of context here, um, you know, we were out with our organizational impact survey of the arts uh, in mid-March right away. And, um, you know, immediately within a week had three, heard from 3,000 organizations. And we were already seeing at that point, it was a $3.2 billion loss that arts organizations were facing. And we're able to use that research and put that into a $4 billion ask uh, for the CARES Act. Now, you know, we didn't see that much in direct cash uh, relief, you know, the um, NEA got 75 million, Humanities Endowment got 75 million and, and down the line. But we were able to make sure that the arts were part of the PPP, uh, you know, the SBA loans, the disaster relief, that artists and creative workers uh, were part of the uh, unemployment programs, you know, which is worth billions 
to the arts. So, you know, there's arts funding and then there's, you know, good arts policy as well. Um, you know, we work to make sure that Department of Education is funding arts education and Department of Justice has, you know, programs for at-risk youth on down the line. So um, that's nationally. And then there's statewide and local versions of that as well. So uh, it's it's a it's a great story to uh, to tell. Um, and and um, so, I, I, you know, I do miss that. And you just meet so many great people across the country. I know you travel as well. You know, people are fabulous. And I love uh, love going to different communities. And um, and it's, uh, you know, big cities and small places. You know, it's, it's Muncie and Paducah and Okaboji and Lubbock. Um, you know, and there's everywhere has got a, a great story uh, to tell. Um, well, and you have a great story to tell locally. So I know that you work on the data and the big picture all the time and providing all that granular data on the whole country. But you've been very involved where you live in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Yes. Uh, very yes. involved with, with the arts there and the Arts Commission, I believe, and, and, and theater and even uh, bringing a Port Laureate to the town. So if you were to look at this in terms of, like you said, measuring things that matter. If you were to look at the measure of things that matter right in your local community and what you've been working on, what matters most to you right now? Hmm. Um, well, you know, I think right now, everybody being healthy. Uh, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of a unprecedented time. Um, and, and, you know, uh, so, um, you know that that that's a that's a huge piece, uh, and doing what it what it takes um, to stay healthy, um, engaging our young people. I, you know, I was mentioning um, I was in Seattle uh, last weekend, so I did fly. Uh, I've been on an airplane, uh, my first one in like about three months. Um, I'm really proud to say my um, both my kids uh, are AmeriCorps. You know, we're AmeriCorps and uh, and Vista, and so my son is uh, out west. Uh, he's going to be a um, wildland firefighter, uh, at least for the summer. So I was, took him out there to get set up and everything. And, uh, um, but, uh, you know, um, getting our young people engaged, uh, in, in community and society and, um, and feeling hopeful, um, and also looking out for, um, you know, we've got very vulnerable populations, too. I was reading some Facebook uh, meme that said, uh, you know, it had a picture of Mikey, you know, uh, Life Cereal. Hey, Mikey likes it. They said, if you remember why this is funny, you know, you're you're part of the uh, risky, uh, you're at risk and all of this, which I thought, uh-oh. But, um, you know, and so what are we doing just, you know, right next door, right outside, um, you know, helping our neighbors, making sure um, – uh, you know who's who who the vulnerable neighbors are neighbors are and you know are they getting groceries at um six o'clock monday through friday me and some neighbors we safely social distance out front uh and we also have a 6 p.m sing-along uh we sing a song do a little you know neighborhood connectedness um so you know i think we're all necessarily a little close to home these days um what you are know. you all singing out there Oh, uh, you know, um, everything. There's, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, we had some Elton John. We had some Archie's. We had some This Little Light of Mine. We had uh, Blown in the Wind. You know, kind of uh, sometimes the weather drives the uh, song selection. So um, it's, a, it's a pretty good mix. Uh, well, it sounds like people in the neighborhood are hungry for a little bit of art in their lives, too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and you know, you, you mentioned this Co Park Arts and Humanities Commission, which I was uh, chair of for th- uh, three years, and. Um, uh, you know, we established the Tacoma Park Poet Laureate, uh, and the purpose of that was um, f- to uh, make, find ways to make poetry um, just part of the every, our everyday life. And, and um, uh, you know, so uh, every Poet Laureate has, you know, agenda, either working with the schools or people in the retirement community or, you know, um, p- p- bathroom, uh, poetry in the bathroom or, you know, bathroom poetry. I forgot what it's called, where, you know, they've, there's poems posted in all the public restrooms, you know, across the city. Uh, there's, you know, regular public readings of um, poetry. And I think, you know, and this gets back to what we were talking about earlier, when it comes time to, you know, get out and get connected more. Um, the arts are going to be this great opportunity to, for shared experiences, bring a poem, folks, get up there and tell it, you know, and uh, share what was your experience or what's on your mind and, you know, make it funny or sad, you know, whatever, whatever speaks to you and, um, or sing a song, that type of thing. Um, and, and it's just, uh, you know, it's it, it it unifies communities. It's democratizing, and you know the arts are just on the right side of what needs to be done in this country. And that's why um, it's a, it's a great story to tell. Uh, I love traveling and, and telling it, and um, and and it's why uh, I think we need to support the arts uh, and donate to the arts and remember these organizations that. Um, you know, really providing these fundamental core benefits to our communities. And obviously, you know, there's people are thinking about health and uh, housing and, and, you know, all these big issues. But the fact is, um, you know, uh, when you the arts also touch, you know, all of these different issues. So it's not, you know, the arts aren't something to be saved for, you know, the good days again. Um you know, they really are part of what knits knits us together as people, knits the community together. So, Randy, you've been telling us a lot about the state of the arts and the importance of the arts in the community, but people may still wonder, what can I do? Can you give us an idea about what people can do to take action? Yeah, there's a lot of great things you can do um, to support the arts, to advance the arts in the community. Um, you know, one real easy one is you can join the arts action fund and that's actually the political action 501c4 cousin if you will organization of americans for the arts um i know people are already members of everything but uh you can't beat the price on this one it's free it's as easy as falling off a log you just go to artsactionfund.org and it's one place you can get all the political updates federal state policy what's going on with funding with the national endowment for the arts or how are the arts competing with the ppp uh relief dollars you just put in your name your address and the great thing about this is um you don't get any calls to action until um you're needed, you know, until it's your representative or your senator who's on a committee uh, or that there's a vote that's going to happen. And so, you know, it's all pre-populated. I mean, it's, it's like I said, if you can fall off a log, you could do this. Uh, you just, you know, click some buttons. But, you know, advocacy in D.C. these days is really a numbers game, Jay. And, you know, the more emails and hits you can get at the right moment. You know, that's how you move policy. And I remember a few years ago, um, 
someone in Congress decided uh, Corporation for Public Broadcasting is getting a hundred million dollars too many, you know, and they decided uh, we we got to pull that back a little bit. Well, we rallied uh, our you know online arts action army, uh, and within 24 hours, we had 10,000 emails that went up to the Hill and. You know, that proposal came off the table. So and then if you're really interested in taking it to the next step, you know, there's a political action fund. And so I, I would really recommend that's that's one just everybody ought to be doing, you know, artsactionfund.org. And then of course, attend the arts, participate in the arts, you know, we're all social distancing. Um, you know, the arts are proven to improve our mental health. Uh, and boy, now more than ever, right? And if you got kids. Make sure your kids are getting a quality arts education. And, you know, um, if nothing else, if you just want them to improve better academically, uh, there's research that underscores that. Thank you so much, Randy. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed the, uh, enjoy the visit. The Masterminds podcast is underwritten by DonorSearch, the world leader in donor intelligence solutions for not-for-profit organizations. Our producer is Terrence Diggs. Our theme music is composed and performed by Ahmad Ibrahim. The voice introduction to our program is performed by Ryan Ibrahim. You can subscribe to the Mastermind series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find blogs, livecasts, and flash classes with our featured masterminds at donorsearch.net or check the show notes and descriptions.